My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 130 of Legally Clueless Podcast. Thank you for rocking with this pod. If this is your first time listening, make sure you join our online community on Instagram. We're at Legally Clueless Podcast. There's a link in the show notes on Twitter. Use the hashtag Legally Clueless. It's easier for me to stalk you that way. And check out our YouTube. Please actually do because we have season one of our video series out and also episode one of our tour series the Nairobi episode went live on Friday the 3rd of September so I'd really love you to check that out it's it's absolutely fantastic in fact the story in this episode there are visuals to it in the Nairobi episode does that make sense if not just go 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 watch the Nairobi episode It'll all make sense then. A link to that is in the show notes. Now, speaking of the story in this episode, I do have to say that, oof, it is a heavy story. It's actually the first story we recorded during our recently concluded tour, like story number 001. And it's a powerful story by Jeppy that does touch on sexual violence, specifically rape. And so, honestly, it can be a triggering story but it's a necessary story. So if at this moment you cannot handle conversations or stories that touch on that theme, you may want to give this episode like a hard pass until a point in time that you're able to listen to that. As in from now, because I'm about to play a snippet of the story. Again, it's a heavy one, but it's such a necessary story. One day I walk... From Riverside, I used Chiromo. I'm crying. I had just not eaten for two or three days. I find these street kids eating. They were being served food. I decided I'm going to join them. I look as though I don't need the food though. But they just welcome me and tell me, just come. I spent the night there with them. Some guys, like, I don't know how many they were. They just come. They grabbed me really tight, closed my mouth. In less than two minutes... I had no clothes on. I still go back a few days later. I see these guys and this time I run away, but they catch me. Kumbe, what they did the last time was they actually tried to rape me. They finished the stuff and then they they, they leave. Um, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to call. I don't know where to start from. And... Um, Men don't get raped. So that story by Jeppy is coming up a little later in the episode. It's a very powerful one. And so I wouldn't be chit-chatting for too much because I want this episode to really be all about Jeppy. However, as usual, I am hoping that you are surrounded by grace and peace. And even when I say that, I think the one thing I want you to to do or at least try to do this week is to extend that same grace we give others to yourself for me why I'm in that space is that I don't think I'm as productive now as I was before the tour it could be as simple as I'm exhausted which is what my therapist says she's just like do you not understand like (laughs) the work around that and now you have reports and all of that stuff so I'm feeling like I'm much slower than I usually am and some days I'm very graceful and understanding of that and some days I'm just like what the heck is wrong with you can you get up and do this like no 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 I'm trying to meet myself where I am, but still get stuff done. And so a lot of grace is needed in that space. And if you can relate with that, grace. (laughs) All 
all we need is just a bit of grace. So let me jump into the song of the week. It's been very hard for me to decide. And even as of this moment, I have two songs. But surely Adele, one can wait until the next episode. What's happening, sis? What is happening? Okay. Mm, which one did I go with? Okay, let me go with this one because it has Erica Badu and you know I'm absolutely in love with her. This song, I don't even know what it's about, yo, but it just fills me with such a good energy. My spirit really connects with it. And it's by Zap Mama and Erica Badu. It's called Bandi Bandi. Fal says, because I play it all the time, he hears Banky Banky, which <laughs> which is weed. For those of you who are not from Kenya, it's like slang. It's slang. I like Swahili slang for weed. Anyway, he has bangi bangi, but I, it's not about that. I, at least I don't think so. <laughs> Might explain why my spirit is connecting with it, but no, it's called Bandi Bandi. And it's by Zap Mama and Erica Badu, and it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful song. So if you check out the show notes, there is a link to the song. Check it out. I hope I hope you like it as much as I do. And may, hey, maybe you could figure out what it's about. Okay, so let's jump into Jeppy's very powerful story. My aunt, who's in Botswana, watched Jeppy's story on the tour episode on our YouTube channel. And she wrote back to me and said, this man who I've never met has such a beautiful soul and I'm a hundred percent sure of it and I've gotten so many people saying that and I've shared that with Jeppy and in the show notes there's links for you to check out his music but I know that that probably doesn't make sense right now because you've not listened to the story so Listen to the story, which really is about him coming from Nakuru to Nairobi and just surviving very terrible experiences and just standing tall and finding grace and peace in music. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless coming to you from the road. We partnered with African O Filter to take this podcast on tour to Nakuru, Kisumu, Mombasa and Nairobi, bringing you powerful and inspiring African stories. My name is Jeffy Collins. I live in Nairobi, Kenya, but from Nakuru. Between 0 and 18, my life was pretty much okay. Like, one of my best memories growing up was on Sundays, my mom and dad would, we would go out. Like, we always, we always used to go out for brunch, even if I knew brunch, what brunch was. So that, that was fun. I mean, I had a few challenges. I didn't I didn't have many friends, but I was contented. I was okay. I only had a few friends, mostly because um, I'm epileptic. So being epileptic, like at that time when I was growing up, it looked like there's something wrong with you. And then also the teachers didn't support me much. So I ended up with very few friends. So I didn't interact much, also self-esteem because of the seizures in between class and kids laughing. Kids can be mean. Kids can be mean. I moved to Nairobi after immediately after high school. The idea was, you know, that gap here between uni and high school. Uh, at this, okay, I don't know if that's happening now, but during during that time, there was like a gap here. So initially, so I was supposed to. There was my auntie who was living abroad, so the idea was to come study here. We didn't perfect my German, and then I go study now in Germany. That was the plan. Yeah, that is the reason why actually I came to Nairobi. I couldn't wait to reach. First of all, I took a mat, Mulla Line Shuttle, 
Nairobi and then my uncle I did not know Nairobi because my first 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 interaction with Nairobi it was after high school uh, I mean not of high school sorry after like primary school or prep school whatever so it's your best we came for like a week and for me it was fantastic because my uncle was taking me out we were going to Sarid we were going to places and going to malls so I was like really excited chicken in you know things like those so that made me really excited. So growing up, that was my only experience for Nairobi. So when I was coming on that day, it was very sunny for all I remember. It was very, very sunny because it was January. And January is just not really good. And I remember I used my backpack. So I carried all my nice clothes, all my nice shoes, because we're coming tonight. <laughs> We're coming to Nais, and my uncle picked me up at Odeon. We actually were coming to Riverside Drive. We were staying at Riverside Drive at the time, and that was Kile. So I was like, ah, okay, we are, we are going to the good life. <laughs> Soft life. So I was like really excited. That's all I remember really about that day. My idea of how people live in Nairobi was very different. I was staying with my uncle who was staying with the girlfriend at some point. Sometimes his friends would come in. But uh, mostly it was just the two of us, yeah. It was a family home, so guys, whenever guys are visiting, they would, they would usually come there. So the very, very first time I had like any experience that shock, shock, uh, really that shook me was I was going to town and then I left my phone in the house. So the Matatu was just about to move. So, so the Matatu guys just say, like I, I, I told him, like, oh, hey, Nimesa Simu. The first thing he told me was, so I was like, what? What is, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so that was my first, first, first experience. Where I was studying, I was studying at Gote. That was the very first time I was thinking about how I sound. All the other friends who I made at Gote sounded Kenyan-like. So me, I didn't sound Kenyan-like. And I came to learn later on that most guys who have a bass tend to sound as though they have an accent. Yeah, so that kind of like made me stand out so making friends wasn't really that difficult yeah so now from there i knew sanford eh. <laughs> i knew sanford i knew places in mystique from friends i made there i knew where to take my tattoos from i kind of learned nairobi i kind of learned nairobi but you see my life was mostly based town and kile so after classes, we'd like go out, like maybe I wouldn't say cocktails, but we'll just go have shots in some to, to some places. So that was that was fun. Through that, I came to learn about uh, from Gota Institute is when I learned about like orchestras and music. I had never knew they existed in Kenya up until. I was at Gote. One day I saw a poster. It was written Nairobi Music Society and Nairobi Orchestra. And they were doing a piece by, I can't even remember, but it was a baroque piece. I had studied this in high school, so I was like, this is my thing. This is exactly what I've been... So I did not know where to find it. When I saw it, I remember asking my mom, Mom, please send me money. I need to go for this concert. Whatever you need to do. In the, just send me money, I need to go for this concert. First forwarding, uh, when I was in Nairobi, things took a turn that I did not expect. As I was staying with my, with my uncles, I think he was going through also a difficult time, I'm not so sure. He was, at the time, he was pretty young. He was pretty, pretty young. But of course, when you're younger, at 20, 
four year old is <laughs> really old. <laughs> I saw him as a as a dad figure. So he was quite supportive. He didn't mind me practicing or didn't he didn't mind me learning, like trying to practice. Because at this time I'd already gotten engaged in the music scene. Um, I'd gotten highly engaged at the conservatoire. I was volunteering in the library. Yeah, so I'd I'd kind of had my my fix around because after that concert as i said which i went uh, the first concert i immediately the, the soloist the soprano soloist i went and told her i've never had a voice like that that was so beautiful so from from her she kind of pushed my agenda she helped me push my agenda of wanting to play music i had settled into it a bit um, i joined the choir so i was singing as a bass uh, i was singing as one of the bass singers that was um, like it was really fulfilling so to fast forward with all these experiences that i'm getting i'm interacting with all these other musicians i'm doing all these things my i'm at the con- I'm actually i'm at the conservatory as well things at home like let's say in, where i was staying at riverside were um, a bit tense, if I can say. So um, at this time, I'm singing in the choir. The rehearsals are on Tuesdays, 7 to 9 p.m. Classical music is one of those uh, genres of music that is very white-affiliated or has a lot of foreigners in it. Like, you find very few Kenyans actually have an affiliation to it. So in the, in the choir, there were, a lot of, there were um, a lot of white folks. For some weird reason, I got closer to the conductor, who is the husband to the soloist I, told, I said about earlier. I used to ask a lot of questions, like just this curious young guy who's just, about, just curious about life and how to make it in music. They seem to be... He was the pianist and he was really good and he was chairman and he had a whole choir. They were playing with an orchestra. He was in, he was at the space where I needed to be. So he used to drop me home. We used to practice at Kenton College. So in Kenton College, you pass through Riverside, so they would drop me. But because the stories were so much, hey, stories really bamba, bamba, kiasi. So he used to like sit at the parking with me because our stories between Kenton and Riverside, it's just such a short period. So he would just like listen to the stories and answer my questions. That, that was not a problem initially. I thought it was just okay. So, but from the balcony of our house, you could see whoever is in the car. So you're seeing Jeppy with our old white man. And then at this time, I'm volunteering at the conservatory. They're giving me 500 bob. I'm getting a little bit of money, singing some gigs. So I'm getting a bit of money. Don't forget, as I said earlier, my uncle, I think, was going through like some sort of a financial period. But I don't think he was able to tell me. And then I didn't want to involve my parents because at this time I was thinking, ah, they will make me go back home. So, and then I'm, at this time I'm calculatively working on uh, music. I'm not so sure that I want it to be a career. I'm not so sure whether... I'm not so sure. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it. So we're kind of getting into conflict with my uncle because, first of all, one, I'm spending more nights out. I'm being dropped by these white folks, uh, old white folks. I'm getting, I'm, I'm somehow have money. I'm in Nairobi. From where, where am I getting this money from? I'm assuming these are the questions that he was asking. And then being a very, I'm a very, what is it called? I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that I'm quite a feminine. I can be a bit effeminate. So that kind of makes me look, and considering my uncles and how my, my dad, like th- those guys are like macho. Any there, there, the, there, the those guys you wouldn't even like. They just pigayungo me if you see them, <laughs> you know. And all of them are pretty big. 
um, I've always been the skinny nigga. Even I brew is like pretty big, some rugby guy. The way I've always seen my uncles do it and my uh, my family is at least the men in my family. I grew up with with my my uncles, my from my dad's side. Um, my uncles used to visit us a lot and they were all macho and they were kept on saying and then they kept on saying, you know, we are fighters. You know, our family is made up of people, you know, we are hustlers. We, we work hard for what we have. Using that, not knowingly actually, that I'm, I'm going to fight this out because this is what life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be difficult. So I could not tell my parents, mostly because I thought you don't do such things when you're an adult. I didn't share much. I had, I had, I had, my, had my aunt living still in Nairobi, but I still did not tell her, mostly because, again, the same reason. If I say this information, right, I'm suffering a beat in Nairobi, I'll be taken back home and then this whole music thing will die. And the music thing at this time was was very was a very personal thing. A story within me that I, I thought like I had never I had never experienced. It's like it's like I had something and every time I I, I try to do it, it it gives me a how can I put this? It makes me happy. It makes me happy like joyfully happy. So I decide Hey. Nairobi, you know what? I, I can't go back home. I can't go back home to Riverside because at this time we are clashing a lot with my uncle. So I was just like, <sighs> one day I walk from Riverside, I used Chiromo. I just walk. I'm crying mostly because at the time I think I had just like not eaten for two or three days. And I didn't know what to do. And I also did not know to tell my uncle because he wasn't around at the time. I think he had traveled and I didn't have any money. And whenever I told my mom or my dad that I don't have any money or I haven't eaten, my dad will ask me, Ndugiangu, my brother hasn't fed you. Like, not that he hasn't. I just, uh, he's not around at the time. He's not around at the time and he didn't leave any food. I don't think, my, I don't know if he knew or not. Yeah, so I decided to walk. So I walked through... I reached my avenue. I just walked. This is around 9, 10 at night. I just walked. I, I have a jacket. I have like just normal shoes and uh, trouser jeans. I had like three or four jeans. <laughs> really, really old ones. I find these street kids eating. They were being served food. So what is life? Um, I decided I'm going to join them. I look as though I don't need the food though. But... They, they just welcome me and tell me, just come. At this time, my um, Kiswahili is actually not that great. Like, Nikiongek Swahili, it sounds like, even if it, <laughs> it doesn't sound like, you know, that Kenyan, that Msi guy, that Dando guy, that, you know, that guy in a pitya life hard, you know? As in, even when I speak Swahili, I'm made fun of. And I can't do much about it. So I'm kind of, I used to be so conscious about it. So I'd not speak. I'd not speak. So he'll just not speak at all. I, I sit there and they're like, any ajuni, ajuni, Food, nezapata food. Then, so they give me. I spend, I spend the night there with them. Then in the morning at like around five, some cops or some guys come and chase us away. So I take a few laps in Tao, then go to conserv- conservatory and go practice. Intermittently, I would... Um, go home some nights I spent out. So one night I I was outside. I was just on Kenyatta Avenue. So I'm at Kenyatta Avenue, I find this guy. We start talking, then I ask him what's up, because his English is quite good. It's like you sound quite learned. It's like here yeah, I am. I actually have an undergrad in some 
course to did some engineering course. He was from Kitui, I think, or somewhere in Kambani. We had a conversation, a short conversation. Then I asked him, are you usually here? Then he said, yeah, um, I usually go hustle in Kikomba or in Kipada Kazianjengo Pia. Then I come back here and he's like, why can't you not go back home? He's like, where I'm from, there's really nothing. This is actually much better than staying at home and people making fun of me because I was a scholarship kid and I didn't manage to get a job. So I was like, oh, cool, but you can join me. Uh, this is my corner. So where Simas used to be, there was like a corner there. There was like a Kasmoka part, so he used to stay there. So one, once in a while, I'll join him. Then it became more often. I used to go home sometimes, like to Riverside. Sometimes I wouldn't. Then one day, my uncles went to Nakuru and they told my dad, hey, hey, your boy is sleeping with old men in Nairobi. My dad was so disappointed. He's like, so disappointed with me. And I, I, I didn't know what to say, what to do. I, I didn't know how to react. My uncles didn't even let me know that. Didn't even care or bother to ask me, what's up? What's, what, what are you doing? Who are those? You know, at least, and knowing my father, he was a very strict man, but also very, very involving. He was very involved in my life. Not he was, he is very involved in my life, actually. So I think he wasn't able to understand what was going on. And my mom immediately called me and asked me what's going on. And I told her a lot is going on, but I can't speak to you. I can't speak to you at the moment. So my mom immediately says, come, come home. So she sends me money. I go home and then we talk. My folks, I let them understand. My father was very understanding and he was like, oh, okay, this is what happened. So I go back to Nairobi, but now this time I had already made friends. So I would go to my friend's house in Gara and chill there sometimes, but also because of the you know, I'm not participating, I'm not adding financially to the bills, so I'm just like, there. So one day, one of these fine days when I'm just going back to the streets because that was like a home now, and chilling out with this guy, one day he didn't come, so I just chill there by myself. I just sit, I don't know what I was doing, then I see some guys, I always see them once in a while, I always see them. Then I think they noticed I was by myself. They just came and said hi, and I was like, cool, hi. Uh, we're all boys, so... We're all chilling, so yeah. I don't know what time it was, but it was quite late into the like it was like deep into the night. Some guys, like I don't know how many they were, they just come. They didn't really wake me up, but they like they grabbed me really tight and closed my mouth. Eh, that's all I remember saying. It's like they were almost telling me, you don't belong here. What the hell are you thinking being here, you know? So at this time, I'm still struggling. I'm struggling with them. So in less than two minutes, I had no clothes on. And this guy just comes and I think I was so in shock. I was so in shock. I don't really rem It's like my mind forgot what happened in that moment. I, I can't tell you what happened. I, the shock was too much. So I woke up, I don't know what time it was, but I woke up feeling really intensely painful. And I think I'd had a seizure um, in between. So I wake up, I'm not sure what was going on, what, 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 what was going on. So since I don't know where to go, <laughs> I think the sun was coming out. I dress up and just go. I just go to my normal errands. Like mostly, I go to the 
to the conservatory practice. I didn't talk to anybody. At this time, at this time, I'm playing in the orchestra, the conservatory orchestra, and um, everybody's wondering why is it. I, I was still really bad. <laughs> I was still really bad. So everybody, and then I'll still be made fun of, and everybody wondered why I was coming back. And I always went back because. It kind of made me feel home, like the orchestra at the time made me feel home. So I, I did what I know, so I went to the orchestra, I went and practiced, and then on Saturday I went for orchestra, I was always there like from 12, and the orchestra, I think rehearsal starting at 4. So that happens, it kind of goes away. Somehow my brain just decides that's not for me. I still go back a few days later, and I see these guys, and this time I run away, but they catch me. But now this time, I'm very aware of what's happening. Kumbe, what they did the last time was um, like... I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that they, they actually tried to rape me. And this time they made me know that that's what they want, that's what they want to do. So it kind of became a bit, bit nerve-wracking because I'm like, the last time, the reason why I'm like going through all this travel, like I'm feeling like so uncomfortable, I've been feeling so uncomfortable for all these, for all these number of days, it was because, oh, that is what happened the last time, not because I had a seizure, maybe, because I really couldn't tell what had happened, so I just thought maybe I'm having one of those, like, really bad stomach days, and, you know, like, you know, like, I have such, when I'm going to the washroom, it's just uncomfortable, so I just thought it was just, maybe I'm going through something, it's something really, really nasty, so... They, they, they go ahead, like they hold my mouth, like really, really, really tightly. They hold my hands and then they immediately say, This time I'm trying to scream. I have a bass so I can't scream. <laughs> I'm trying to move. I'm like the skinniest person I know. I'm, I'm literally helpless. So this time I, I close my eyes and I just say like, I guess God is not with me today. <laughs> Literally, that's just what I say because there's very little I could do about it. It's very I couldn't pray because I thought prayer. I mean, people say God is with you all the time, so I figured, I figured like, you know, and He's not there with me at this moment. Why are they doing this? Um, and then don't forget, initially, my uncles had gone and told my dad all this nasty shit about me. So that was still affecting me. I'm trying to figure out my life. Of course, that plan for going abroad that died, Kitambo. So I'm feeling as though now I'm, I'm like, I have nothing going on. I, I'll, I'm, I can easily just be told, my uncle can just tell me, go back home. So I'm. I'm really trying to fight for me. This is going on through my mind as everything is happening. So I'm like just, I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm trying to scream and just tell them to stop, like stop and stop. Nothing, nothing. They just continue on and on. So I, they finish the stuff and then they, they, they leave and they say, You fucking hoe. Get the fuck out of here. Literally in those words. When I kiss on Mingi, Utatwata. Because I think that this time I was a bit familiar with um, the security guys at Simas. So they were like a bit friendly. So they would buy me food or something. Because they thought I sounded smart. So I was like, I think they, they might. So I'm trying to think. Maybe that's why they think I'm competition or something. Although I'm just trying to just leave because 
I can't tell mom and dad because I think I think at this time I was thinking like, oh, it's really, really, really bad if they know because I think a man should be strong, you know. So I'm doing this, you know, the man way. Um, so yeah, so I just try and be. Yeah, so, so this is done and they tell me all those things and I immediately just go and be like, okay, okay, that has happened. Um, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to call. I don't know where to start from. And um, men don't get raped. At least I know that. I knew that. And, and growing up, that's what I know. Um, so I didn't have a... It never, it never crossed my mind that can happen. The first thing that came to my mind is maybe I should go to a chemist. <laughs> I should go to a chemist because where do you go? <laughs> Nowhere, as in these cases are for women. These rape cases happen only to women, as in this is me as a maybe 20-year-old. I think I was around 20. I was around 20 and I decided like, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know even, I, my phone couldn't even go online, so I, I didn't know who to call. And I think I was too ashamed to call my mom because this other story then would match up to this one. So I thought like, if I tell my mom and dad this, and they have been told this other story, they might think I'm actually legitimately hoeing in Nairobi. And I value my parents' opinion about me so much, so... And I could not tell anyone, so I walk and I go... So I'm finding it difficult to walk, like, really painful to walk. And then I, I had, like, bruises um, on my hand, on my hands, mostly around here. I'm bald, so, like, my dad scratched my head down and... Yeah, so... I went to a chemist and I told them, hi, so I have, I have a pain, <laughs> I'm feeling painful when I'm going to the washroom and this had just happened. And then they said, ah, okay, ulikula nini? It's like, sijakula kitu, lakini, that's what I'm feeling, so I could not. And then there are people there, so, and this is around maybe, it was quite late at night, it was one of those, late night chemists on Tom Warrior Street. So I, was just, I decided like, okay, maybe they, they, they most probably know what will happen. So I found many people there and I was a bit uncomfortable talking about it or saying anything about it. So I just, they would give me painkillers and I told them I don't have any money and they say that's much what The painkillers anyway were not that, I don't think they were that expensive. They gave me water and that was it. So the next day I walked to Kenyatta and I told one of the people there, the, so I walk, I just get, not really the reception, but I found somebody scrubs. So obviously you work here, so let me just tell you what happened. Uh, like, hi, Jana, there's a, um, Jana, there's, there's a guy, there's some guys who, I didn't even say rape, I just said like there's some guys who, they, 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 they tried touching me in a, in a way that I didn't like. Then the, the guy, I think maybe he was a student, because he looked pretty young, he looked maybe around 
my age just a bit older. He he literally laughed like super <laughs> serious. <laughs> like that's what you say, super serious. <laughs> and then he went like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Like oh, I'm serious. I just asked. I just asked. So I'm just like <laughs> that. So I just told him that. And since he was, I don't know what it was. And I'm sorry about if this reflects partly maybe on I I on on them like or on the institution maybe legally kind of messes up but I was at Kenyatta at the time and he just decided like I'm not I'm, I'm not for real so I I walk I somehow find myself on Ngong Road and I'm just walking aimlessly crying wondering what I did wrong so I figured what I did wrong was um I should have maybe buffed up a bit maybe I should be a bit more macho maybe I should be a bit more I don't know I just started thinking of reasons just reasons why I would so mostly I figured it was mostly my problem it was me who put myself there it was me who got myself there. it was me who took myself to get these experiences so it's me it's me and you know what I'm gonna do this like a man the way it's said like the men we are. So I've seen men I've seen men come up of come out of bad situations. So what is different with me? I'm gonna be a man and I'm gonna stick this out. I mean so I stuck it out. I stuck it out and again that was the point I made the decision. Literally <sighs> music is what is gonna save me. I don't know what it's gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna achieve with it, but I wanna play because it's the only thing that I knew. That made sense. Getting a degree was useless because I didn't want to pursue anything to do with anything apart from music. So whether a degree in medicine or a degree in anything, whatever my mom told me, <laughs> I didn't care. Because you'll speak to my mom and my mom is, she would notice it, but she wouldn't. She would ask me and I would say no. She knew it, but I would say no. I'll still say nothing is wrong and you know, I've told her nothing is wrong, so she has no option but to believe me. I walk, so somehow, I don't know where, I don't know where I slept that day. I think I was aloof for a few days. I went back home to Riverside and at the time my auntie was around. And I think my uncles, I told my auntie that I go around sleeping with men. So once I was, we had, in the, we had a bathtub, so I was washing my clothes up, I'm bending washing my clothes then she just tells me in these particular words i'll never forget you ho what are you doing what are you what are you just giving that ass to to men outside to, to men outside there there's such a sh- such a shame i think she was drunk or on what or whatever what was going on i had never been hurt so much i've just gone experience through this then you saying this to me i think I felt as though I hated my whole family at the time. So that same night, I didn't even finish washing my clothes. I just took my clothes. I took one of those bags. Um, what do you call them? Those bags are given for collection. The bin collection, the dust. Yeah, the, yeah garbage bags, the, those black ones. They're very... So I took those garbage... I took the garbage bags, black ones. They're black ones. They're quite big. I just rinsed my clothes. They were still wet. I put them inside 
I went to my friend's house at around 11. I just walked from Riverside to Ngara at around 11 at night. And that was basically the start of life. I was playing more. I was playing a lot. At this time, I had met my I had met other friends. I was, still, I was kind of hanging out with a lot of friends. So I kind of made musical friends. They're the same friends I still have now. So one day there's this friend, there's a friend of mine called Alex, and Alex wanted to start an orchestra. So I kind of wanted to work with him. So that was really fun. So I'd hang out with him a lot. He became really close. There was a conductor. <laughs> this conductor is used to say a lot of things. Um, used to say a lot of things and I used to find him funny. So I, I kind of liked or enjoyed that. <laughs> I had made friends who came from very different backgrounds. So I was kind of really excited about their lives and what they were doing. With my playing, of course, I interacted with a lot of people who were very different from me. So recovery, what I did is these people are the ones that made me be be strong again. Like I, I didn't know I was weak even or anything. I just knew that these people are a vibe and these people are, are the thing they're the ones who who brighten up my days so one day there's a ballet studio at the conservatoire and um, uh, one day I was, in, I was inside there practicing so guys would just come and grab a corner one day somebody came with food to the ballet studio and just said um, this is for Nairobi <laughs> I was like what this is for Nairobi she's called Bernadette I don't even think she remembers this then she said, ah, I was just fasting and Nairobi is difficult. I just gonna go to Sanford and they Sanford is like a, a mark of Nairobi. <laughs> so I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy fries. It's not like that. She had, she had never bought fries before, but that day she bought fries for me. Like Bernadette bought fries for me and she didn't know what she had done. She didn't know that I had not been eating really well and I'd not had any meal for a while. I felt like God had kind of answered, because at this point, me and God are, are, not, <laughs> are not buddies at all. Like, I feel as though anybody who told me anything about it, I will, I will just walk away. So I kind of felt a bit closer to that. And I, just a pack of fries was, is one of those moments that lightened up my day. At this time, I'm still playing, mostly classical music. I'm noticing I'm... I'm getting a lot of attention on myself. Like, it's becoming easier. Things are becoming easier. I'm getting gigs. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is nice. One day on Facebook, I see some guy I've posted. I'm looking for volunteers to teach. So I was like, I inbox him and tell him, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'll be happy to teach. I'd never taught anyone. <laughs> I'd never taught anyone my whole life. I had no experience, zero experience. So I was like, gonna wing it he said like oh yeah so get me at this point and then we can go there we can go together i don't remember what the point was but i met him somewhere uh and he went to precious blood also for him it was it looked like it was the first time also for him to go there or at least the so he had the instruments in his car and then he said like i demonstrate the flute so i was like oh, okay cool so i demonstrated and the, the girls were like so excited and i was like oh okay they they actually excited about me being here. That is that is not normal. So I'm happy. I'm feeling like okay, okay, fun, okay. So I I, I showed them how to blow into the flute because I had to teach. I had to like kind of find a way to 
to explain how to do this. So when I was when I when I was looking online, well, I'd kind of taken a few lessons, but my teacher had never said about smiling. That Sunday morning, I Google somewhere, and then they'd say like, smile. So if you want to play the flute, fastest way to like learn how to the technique or how to blow is smile. So if you can smile, you can play the flute. So that kind of made me, you know, <laughs> happy. And that's the first thing I told the girls, smile. So obviously, when you tell somebody smile, they kind of get awkward about it. Like, smile, smile, smile. So I'm there, this guy looking all awkward, telling these girls to smile. These are teenage girls. (laughs) They're very conscious about themselves. I can notice it, and I'm feeling like this could be it. So um, I started volunteering to teach at Precious Blood. From there, I was asked to volunteer. I was asked to volunteer at the same time at Nairobi school then I was still getting gigs now this friend of mine at the orchestra we are getting gigs we are doing stuff so Nairobi is warming up Nairobi is warming up so I'm like okay this is nice I'm staying with my friend Bado in Ngara I think we're things are getting better then one day I get a call from Brie from the director head of music from Preban at the time. She's still she's still the head of music, Miss Caroline Mogaka. She calls me and tells me, Hi, I was referred to you. Um you're looking for a flute teacher at Preban. I'm like, what? For real? Me <laughs> Um I didn't apply. <laughs> Then she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, you, you're very highly recommended. I had never, I'd never, I, d- I didn't know that's how guys get jobs. <laughs> so I get this call and uh, sounds like I have the job already, but I'm not so sure yet. <laughs> so she tells me, come in on this day, we'll have a conversation. So I came in on, I think it's on a Wednesday, and she told me, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the, this is your pigeon hole where you put your stuff, your books. This is the list of your students, and this is the school, this is the cafeteria, this is the nini, this is the nini. At this time, I'd already joined the youth orchestra of Kenya. I had joined the conservatoire. I was playing as the oboist oboe for the youth orchestra, playing as a whistle the conservatory orchestra i had just started i think i'd played for for clark kenya classical fusion at this time already i had done a few a few major gigs so i was kind of still feeling but i wasn't confident i wasn't because there were guys in there there were guys in the scene who were ogs and they were really good so i still felt as though i was still not there i started taking a bit of lessons like i started like building myself up i'm 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 i'm, I'm a bit surprised because i had played there i'd played at the theater but I used to just it was for orchestra only so now I'm working here I call my mom and then she's ah okay my mom my mom is it wasn't really shocked she was just like yeah you you have you heard yourself play she she just says like I'm not really shocked it's like did you apply no I didn't apply so I get a job and uh, it was just there so from there onwards I kind of interacted with more people so I grew my network so I'm still broke <laughs> I'm still kind of broke, but my social network is really growing. So I decided I'm going to use the social network to make myself grow more. So whenever I go somewhere, I kind of always make sure that they know what I do. At least they hear how I sound. So I'm getting more gigs. Um, and then somehow, some way, my friendship with Alex, like Alex Aurero, was, uh, was a pianist. So we'd gig a lot. 
we'd play in hotels like together. So we'd play in Serena, uh, like a morning theme. Then in the evening we'd play at uh, what like a regency, like so things like this. So those so money is coming in. We're running an orchestra, and then we got donated for like instruments. So we got donated for like a cello, a bassoon, an oboe, French horn. So we had we had a few violas. Like so we'd kind of kind of build a small ensemble. So for gigging. So through Braeburn, I started teaching a little bit more. When I was teaching, so I got more, I got referred more. So the parents of the school referred me more. So I started teaching at this time, Ambassador's Kids. I was teaching a lot of very influential uh, individuals. So I'm earning money. The rates are quite good, so I'm making, so money is starting to flow in. My skin looks better. <laughs> they all say, I always hear this thing for like money kind of makes serious. Skin. You know, just money makes the skin glow. It is for real. <laughs> it is for real. We can afford lotion, which is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I swear, money gets you nicer glasses because my frames were like really bad. Money's knowing I'm teaching all these people. I am getting all these referrals. I am becoming a personality in the music scene, or at least I'm being recognized for what I'm doing. So uh, it's just like things are getting better. First forward, I get uh, one day, I think, first forward to 2019, another small thing happens. I break up with my ex. That takes me back to what initially happened because I think I had not healed. I had not healed. I had not spoken to anyone about it. I, at this time, I'm working at the top institutions in the country. I'm working at Impressa Foundation Academy. I'm working at Braeburn. I'm working at Rosalind, I'm working at all these institutions that quite, I mean, I'm working, like, if you're working as a peripatetic teacher in Nairobi, working in, this, working in these institutions, actually, like, that is the highest you go, because you don't reach far, it, there's no higher than that. So I'm at the peak. <laughs> I start delaying reports because, um, of course, I'm heartbroken. Um, so I um, don't feel like doing anything. And then I go back to that space, which I'm not healed from. At work, things are getting tougher uh, because I'm not teaching. I am not concentrating. I am just, I think I'm just going through a lot of things in my mind. So my bosses don't know, of course, what is going on. It becomes a, an issue. A disciplinary issue so ideally the beginning so one of my bosses just like almost threatens me directly of my career and tells me i'm gonna stop it my boss now at braeburn miss caroline mogaka noticed all this and she decided like you know what i'm gonna pay for let i'm gonna pay for sessions for you to go see someone because her words were you're a good teacher you're actually not bad i understand what you're going through so I knew I know someone who can assist you through this journey. So that was the very first time I actually spoke to someone. Mind you, my mother's a psychologist. <laughs> my mother's a psychologist, but because I think I'd put it so far up, so far away, it didn't. I kind of blocked it. So we never really talked about it. So although my mother encouraged me to encouraged me and I brought to always express ourselves. Oh, we're quite expressive, but this one thing I never really expressed. So we, I, I speak to this someone and this someone really helps. The um, psychologist, the counseling psychologist, we talk, we talk, we talk. I pay for more sessions to just get myself to a space that I can actually accept things that happened. So this lady made me understand, it was a lady, she made me understand how much I've grown. So this is a period of 10 years of growth. 
So from 2010, when I came to Nairobi to now, she made me understand that journey you have walked, that space you have been to, all of, all of it is beautiful. Nobody should ever tell you that that story of yours is not, it doesn't really count. So I, I take that back and, and I start thinking about, but they have actually, I've done, I've pulled off my own concerts, my own shows. I've charged God knows <laughs> figures that were, I'd, I'd personally, maybe it has happened before, but I'd never seen anybody charge that much, at least around me. So I'm making headlines, in the, you know, I'm making headlines in the scene. I'm seeing my poster being shared by some of the top organizations. So, so I'm on the email list, I'm getting the email about me. And like, that is really good. That is really amazing. So I kind of became aware of my journey and how important it was that I express myself fully with the things that I go through. And those things that are difficult, an, an easier way to approach it. Like I should always never think that I'm on my own. Because all this time, I thought I was on my own. And I dealt with everything on my own. Even though I had friends, I had family, things went on and everything else. Now we're good, but I always felt as though I was... There's this conversation about men talking. I really believe men should. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there who go through a lot of things. I feel like that conversation should be had a little bit more. And then the conversation of expression, like man, men expressing themselves. I don't know how to do it. So for the only way I know how to express humanity is through playing because when i mean humanity because humanity is love for me humanity is love passion anger despair all those things that make you human that's i only know how to do it with my flute or with my oboe i only know how to play it out i know how to for me i that's my role that's that's what i decided i'm gonna decide i'm gonna do I'm going to play, I'm going to play for me, but I'm going to play to make sure that whoever listens to me, whatever they feel, I want us to be in the same realm. I want us to, I want us to feel that together, feel as though you're not alone, because that's the only way I know how. I can't talk to you, I haven't studied psychology. <laughs> I mean, you're not my friend per se, we, do, we don't hang out, so those small things like, you know, like my boss, my friend paying for things, my friends who give me like just fries from Sanford, <laughs> or things such as just <laughs> hanging out with me and just chatting over stuff, all those things made my days, and these friends made me understand that without them saying, they made me understand that I'm not alone, and then now music kind of gave me that embrace, that that hug for, I'm not leaving you alone, just I'm going to hug you, so you're going to deal with it. <laughs> you're going to deal with it, because every time I played, I felt like as if I'm being hugged. You know, that that warm embrace, that don't don't leave me. Yeah. Can I play at the top of my mind? Uh, you raise me up. So as I said, you have to smile. Okay, so this is You Raise Me Up.
100 African Stories, the Legally Clueless 2021 tour powered by African No Filter. We're traveling through Kisumu, Nakuru, Mombasa, and Nairobi, bringing you real, raw, and inspiring African stories. I am so fortunate to have met Jeppy and to have had the honor of recording his story and having it on this platform. I think he's such a powerful individual. I'm not too sure he even understands just like the extent of his power. And I just, I'm I'm really fortunate to have met him. We've obviously spoken a couple of times after the recording and after the, the Nairobi episode went out with some of his story. And there's just so much, so much to take from his story. I think one of the things that I find so beautiful and so important to just kind of sit in is how small acts of kindness could mean the world to someone. And so those small things like saying hi to someone or as he said, a pack of fries could mean the world to someone. So even as we're rushing through our days and things like that, just if you can be kind to somebody else, oh, you do not know how far that is going. I try as much as possible to do that. Obviously, sometimes I fail in it because maybe I'm battling my own things, but I think think it's important for us to to take that and so much more from Jeppy's story. I have put a link to some of his music performances online. They're not too many, but he did send them to me. So I, I've, I've put links to that in the show notes for you to check it out. As you heard, he's a fantastic musician. Ugh. You know, this episode is Jeppy's. This episode is Jeppy's. We are so honored, so honored to have his historian to have listened and recorded his story. And to have him be the first story we recorded on the tour, I was just like, yep, this is, this is something powerful that we're doing. So you can check out the Nairobi episode on our YouTube channel. Jeppy is in it. And all you have to do is check out the show notes. There's a link to it. If you're listening on a platform that doesn't have any show notes, just go onto YouTube and search Legally Clueless. It should pop up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. I do know that this is a very heavy episode, but as I said, it's heavy, but it's it's powerful and it's it's so necessary. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.